This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Day After Podcast, Inside Carolina Podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. I've got Jason Staples and Buck Sanders. And Buck, I, I saw it with my own eyes. I've watched multiple replays on Twitter and out on the internet. I rewatched the fourth quarter of the game that I had DVR'd, which is one of the first times I haven't just thrown a DVR tape in the trash. Uh, I've read everything. I've read your column. I've read the message boards. I still do not know what I saw happen in Keenan Stadium last night. Um, make some sense of it for me. Ball don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> she. Chase has been going uh, sheed on us all morning here. Uh, you know it. Uh, and where Jason's getting that remark is the. Uh, Rasheed Wallace was famous for he getting a foul called on him. I'm not, I'm telling this to people that already know it, but and then they would miss the free throw, and then she would ball don't lie, and uh, and usually now that that out. call, <laughs> yeah, that call in the end zone. Uh, mm. yeah, I I don't know uh, what to say about it except they they pick their moments to all of a sudden tighten up on. Uh, offensive interference or defensive interference, but in any event, um, well, what a play. I mean, you know, I think back, uh, over the years, Tommy and I, uh, we've seen a lot of what we would call iconic moments in UNC football. I think back though, you know, a couple I've seen is, uh, Earl hood and David Bomar stopping Chris Coleman at the one yard line in Charlotte you know, and to, to stretch the streak over NC state to seven wins. And it looked for certain, like they were going to lose and, uh, they pulled that one out. Geo's touchdown run, obviously with the, with the, uh, Tar Heel helmet, you know, the, uh, the footprint there on the side of the helmet, that might be a good thing to wear at NC state, I would think, but, uh, you know, when Surratt caught that ball, uh, and you know, kudos to Bateman for saying, you know, watch for the pop pass. Um, you know, I thought maybe they might try a fade there because they've been doing it the whole game. But you know, you got a six-string guy, you know, uh, Hollins, you know, that, that is called upon to make a hell of a play in the end zone, and uh, it gets flagged for the interference, and then. Uh, they call timeout, which had it not worked, uh, if they had not won, that'd be another, uh, you know, stumbling block as to Mac Brown's late game management or whatever. But that timeout, they, and Greg Barnes is, gets credit for pointing this out, is that, uh, you know, during that timeout, that's when Bateman said, hey, watch for the pop pass. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that's what they're going to do. And <clears throat> that ended up making a difference in the game. So, um, you know, so much in the game to talk about. Uh, one thing I neglected to talk about in my column, and I should have, was Noel Ruggles. Uh, you know, they pulled him off the bench. Uh, and they had just benched him the game before by missing a 35-yarder. But the, the final thing I'll say is, Think about how thin the margins are for North Carolina and every other coastal team. Uh, last week, Ruggles hits a 35-yarder, and they're leading the coastal division. This week, 
if Duke scores, they got three losses and not only are they probably out of the coastal division race, it complicates even the possibility of getting to a bowl game. So, you know, the magnitude of this win is only enhanced by the fact how thin that margin is. It's just razor thin between, you know, heaven and hell, basically. Uh, so uh, those are kind of my rambling thoughts, you know, after uh, after the game. And, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot to pick apart here, but uh, just getting that win was just so huge for UNC. I kept saying to myself, they have got to win this game. And sure didn't look like they were, but they ended up. So Brian Ives on Twitter laid it out. South Carolina game decided the very last play of the game with a sack. Miami missed field goal. Wake Forest, the running out of bounds play. App State blocked field goal last play of the game. Clemson, the two-point conversion. Georgia Tech game, of course, was a walk. Virginia Tech, six overtimes. Duke, interception with 18 seconds left. Absolutely crazy. I think Miami and Carolina both have played one possession games in seven of their eight ball games. Jason, the thing about the the defense there on the last uh, play, the pop pass, which I can't recall seeing a running back try that. Maybe I've seen it, which um, made it even more weird. But not only did Chaz Surratt make a great play, Miles Dorn's there to intercept that if it somehow gets through. Uh, Hollins, I think, is right there to affect the pass. But the play or the player of that play for North Carolina has got to be DJ Ford. I mean, he hits him and causes him to throw it like that. It was a perfect storm for Carolina to figure out a way to snatch victory out of the jaws of defeat, Um, whereas last week they snatched defeat out of the jaws of victory three separate times in overtime alone. Just talk about that. Talk about what goes into that for a coordinator like Bateman just to to get it right at the end and certainly affect the, the chances that North Carolina wins in the end. Well, first thing is that Cutcliffe has used that that concept or used that pa- that that uh, little jump pass, pop pass type thing as a core part of his goal line stuff for years. I mean, you can go back to 2016, and he got UNC with it, and so that's one of those things where Bateman Bateman's really really good at not just knowing what a what a coach's tendencies are or what packages that coach likes to bring into into play, but having having a good intuition, sort of letting that information sink in enough to have a good gut feeling for what's going on there. And that's that's one of the things that you saw here is him going, okay, thinking like thinking like Cutcliffe. You can get to the place where if you know the tendencies well enough, you start to think like the other guy. And I I can tell you this, I I, I thought on the on the goal line, I'm thinking, first thing, they're going to go for the fade, no doubt, because that's what Virginia Tech did. That's what they just had success on, and North Carolina has no corners left. <laughs> so, and and that's what they did, and that's what Bateman, Bateman had expected. So they'd been hollering, you know, watch the fade, watch the fade. So they, they were there. They were able to stop it and get that ridiculous, ridiculously bad pass interference call. If you've got the wide receiver who has both hands on the on the defensive back's shoulder pads and then it is actually pulling and grabbing while the ball's in the air you can't call that on the on the db but anyway ball don't lie um but they did a good job of anticipating that and i wouldn't have been surprised had they come back with the same thing i'd have continued going back to that well most likely just because of that situation with the uh with the with the uh, the corners, but the thing was, then you take the next step and you say, okay, well, if they don't, if they don't throw the fade, what, what do they have left? They, they don't have any timeouts left. So they don't want to get into a situation where they're caught short a little bit and we can kind of keep the pile on for a little longer and they potentially aren't able to get the spike. So, you know, they don't want to lose this game by getting, getting stuck in the running game. And the Carolina had done a, a good, jo- a good enough job stopping the run. And we talked in, in the in the pregame episode, in the game plan episode, 
that the key to this game for North Carolina was stop the run, sell out to stop the run, because then Duke will start throwing the ball to you. You've, you, but it, they've got a really good running game. You got to limit it. And North Carolina held them to I think two point seven yards per carry. So that's a situation where the next thing you're thinking is, well, they, you know, you don't want to give up the run, but odds are they're thinking without any timeouts, we probably can't run it for sure. We're getting we're getting close. They might be able to run it once, but after that, they're they're thinking otherwise. So what what might they go to? And then you go, well, you know, cuts use that that jump pass as much as anybody, and you warn your defense, and that's what. Bateman did is that's the that's the logic that he's thinking is all right you know if they're not going to throw the fade and they're probably not going to want to run here because we've been able to stop them what's the next thing well if they put a if they start out with an h-back formation or a formation where there's somebody in a position a potential position to sneak out for a pop pass that's probably it so i'm gonna warn my guys hey i'm thinking it's probably the pop pass if they line up in this formation watch for it and sure enough they lined up in that formation or a formation like what he'd said and the defense made the check and responded properly and like you said dj ford got in there with a quickness and made a play and you know Surratt also actually Surratt was was anticipated the throw so well that he overjumped. I mean he almost dropped that just because it was thrown into his gut and he jumped so high it was down near his feet. So uh, you know that perfect storm for like you said for North Carolina and how they went about it. Just a terrific job anticipating what was what was coming. And then the thing is you can anticipate a play and still lose still not get it done and those guys you you could see they did not want to be a, a a class that that senior class did not want to be a senior class that went out with four losses against Duke it just absolute insanity there Dan I'm gonna go ahead and sneak this Johnny t-shirt discussion in here early before we dig down on the work back from that play when I go back to Buck but let me tell you about Johnny t-shirt Dot com and Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. Certainly, you can find some swag there as a result of this ball game, I'm sure. But if not, you can find all your Carolina football and basketball and baseball and every other sport need you need for Johnny T-shirt for Carolina, for your Carolina fan needs. And, of course, their Inside Carolina podcast sponsor and a sponsor of our website, Johnny T-shirt online, Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. Great customer service. Anything you ever need, trust me. Visit there when you're in town for the Virginia game. Visit if you're in town for a basketball game as the season's about to start. Visit them online. Get anything you need at johnnytshirt.com and Johnny T-shirt. And Inside Carolina subscribers get what? That 10% off. It's worth it. Christmas time's around the corner. You're going to spend a lot of money there. Join Inside Carolina. Get Inside Carolina content and 10%. Can't beat that deal. Later in the podcast, we'll have some uh, code to win some tickets to the Virginia game as well. So keep listening for that code for your chances to sit with Buck, myself, and the rest of some crazy rowdy folks in Section 206. Uh, Buck, let me come to you. Let's work backwards. And you mentioned this in your column. And I'm going to go back to the Carolina series. We discussed it a little bit off air. um, But I love the fourth down call by Mac Brown. Matt Brown has some cojones, and I said that, but the pro, but going for it there, going for it there, there's no other choice. And I think that if you go for it there, like Jason mentioned on Twitter, it, the game's over if you score a touchdown there. But not only that, it forces more time off the clock, and you're going to lose by a touchdown anyway. And then it, then you have a situation where Duke, if it was, uh, they're going to win by one and, and then you're stuck. So I love the play call. And then the, I love the play call with Javante Williams. Not sure why he jumped from the five yard line, but Matt Brown and Phil Longo did everything that North Carolina fans have been clamoring for them to do all year. And it still didn't work out for Carolina, at least on that series. Your thoughts on that last drive and situation by North Carolina. Well, for I'd like to back up a play from uh, the Javante Williams leap 
that fourth down call was awesome. And it might have been one of Sam Howe's best throws that I've seen this year. And for once, Daz Newsom didn't drop a perfectly catchable ball um, in a critical situation, which we'll, we should talk about Daz Newsom's catch, you know, the other catch he made at some point. But, um, you know, it was the right play call. They got 10 yards on it. They only had four to get. And as Mac was talking about in his press conference, you know, hand the ball four times to Javante Williams. If you want to, that's going to burn time off the clock. It's going to make them use their timeouts. They'll get the ball back, you know, with, you know, 30 seconds or whatever, by the time they get down to running the clock and, and you don't really lose anything. So, uh, you know, you give them an opportunity to drive the length of the field uh, if they stop you on the, you know, one inch line. And, you know, I, I kind of like that, those odds better than kicking them. And then you kick off to them. They're going to get the ball on the 25. And then all of a sudden, it's, you know, we've seen that movie before, right? You know, North Carolina's got a six-point lead like you were talking about. It was Virginia Tech last year all over again. And and they very nearly got that touchdown. So my way of thinking is that the only way that Mac Brown could secure a win his best chance to secure a win was get six in that situation. You don't want to come away with three and, and leave them a window uh, that they could get through, even as small as that window might be. So I totally agree with you. And the thing about Mac Brown and even, you know, friends of mine that are not necessarily UNC fans uh, have told me is that, you know, Mac, may be regretting some of uh, the decisions that he made at Texas and when he was at North Carolina before by being maybe too conservative at times. And now he just throws caution to the wind. Listen, I'm going to, I'm going to try to win this game. And, um, and that's what he tried to do in that situation. I applaud him for it. I like that ball move. Um, So I'm in total agreement with you there, Tom. Jason, your thoughts on Longo's game plan against Duke. We'll talk about the defense a little bit later, but I thought Longo called a solid game. Uh, I love that play call there. That swing, I believe it was Javante um, on that fourth down play, was wide open as well. But, you know, Howell probably didn't execute as good as he has. Uh, I think 10 completions, 26, 10 for 26, which is not the – eye-popping numbers he put up, but it was effective enough. And and kudos to John Siegley in the pregame show down in the bowls lot. He's the only one that had a, a low-scoring game like that. Uh, he had Duke winning, so yeah, good pick there, John. But uh, he did have it 21-17. But Longo managed the game. Uh, it worked out in the end. But, you know, he's taken a lot of heat. I don't have too many gripes with the way he did everything. And, and – Javante got his carries and he was punishing late in the game, but give us your take on, on how it went down and your thoughts. Cause you know, a lot of folks have a lot of things to say about play calling. We always talk about that and it's always better to talk about it in a win than after a loss. Yeah. First thing I do want to go back real quick to agree 100% with Buck about the end with Mac about the decision to go for it on fourth down there, because First of all, when when you're handing the ball off, the the likelihood of of your guy fumbling there is really really low if you do get the first down. But let's just say we're playing percentages. If you feel like you've got a really good play for fourth down, and they did, and you look at your at your percentages on fourth down on the year, they're they're more than sixty percent likely to get that that fourth and four or whatever it was against against Duke's defense there. And if you get that, then your chances of winning are over 90%. You're looking at chances of winning in like the 90, probably 95, 96% range. And if you score the touchdown, you're over 99% win, win share. 
you know, that's, that's your, that's your odds. So then you've got a chance to go out and win the game. And like you said, Buck, I think Mac is, has looked back at some of the older, more, more conservative decisions that he made, the traditional decisions that he made in his first go round as a coach and working as an analyst, I think, changed him there because he started getting exposed to the analytics that ESPN has and also getting to getting to watch what each team did. And he noticed that, wow, the analytics really favor going for the win in these cases instead of the traditional play not to lose kind of approach. Coaches are notoriously conservative. And fans have often been trained to think that the conservative play is the safe play. But in this case, the safe play was actually to go for it. Because even if you, even if you don't get it, they're going to have basically a similar situation to drive the field that you, that you had after the fumble. And they're going to have to go 90 yards. And the incentives, the, 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 the desperation to score a touchdown not there. Odds are they're odds are pretty good. You're going to wind up in overtime, even if they're able to score to to drive to score. But if you kick it and you get it, you're giving him a 75 yard field. Probably going to get it on the 25 because they'll probably fair catch it, or maybe they'll return it further. They're going to give him a 75 yard field and more time to actually potentially beat you. And you're you're okay going to overtime. You you, you feel like you can win that. But if they score, you're done. They score a touchdown, you're done. So it's totally the right decision. Now, this connects to play calling as well, though, because Longo had a great play call in that situation. Was able to get... Duke had matched up in exactly that coverage every time North Carolina had gone to that, uh, had gone to that formation. So they went with the formation call that they knew they'd get a specific coverage. They got basically man under in that specific coverage. And then they were able to use a little, actually a a little reverse pivot. So basically pivot, but it's an option where he can come inside. And the, and the, the idea there is to, is to beat the guy inside and that to be a super easy throw for the quarterback and do that with the, with the number two guy. Now you've got a, a really easy pitch and catch and you've got the back getting out of there so that if they keep the backer in there, if they do change coverage, you still have a back who is going to be open. It's a, it's a really easy read for the quarterback. It's a pretty easy throw and catch. I mean, it's, it's the closest thing to play and catch in your backyard you're going to get. And it's a really, really good play call in, in that circumstance. And, and again, I have, to, I have to further emphasize, Longo has had some really, really good key situation calls in his pocket all season. Now against Virginia Tech, they kind of ran a they ran out of them because they wound up having to use a couple of them earlier on uh, on the goal line to score in the in the first half and in the in the uh, and later in regulation, and then when they got into you know the goal line situation later on, you you only carry so many of those plays for those situations and he'd carried like three or four of them in and they'd already run all of them. Some of them. And and I think all of them with success to that point. So now you're starting to dip into the, the other stuff that you haven't already done, because if you, if you do it again, you, it probably doesn't work as well because they've, they've seen it. So this was an, another example though, of him having the right call for the right situation. And they've done that all year. The other thing is again, as they've done all year, they, they, <laughs> Fourth quarter came and Javante Williams became the feature and a fresh Javante Williams and letting him basically batter a good Duke run defense, but ultimately a run defense that late in the game against a fresh Javante Williams, they, they were able to flip the field. They were able to get that, that late field goal. That's what really changed the game. And again, it's the approach of, making sure that you know, first of all, that you're still in the game in the fourth quarter, knowing that you're stopping the run on defense, that they're probably not going to score more than 20 points. So let's not get cute. Let's not get stupid 
and put ourselves in a position where we're going to turn it over. And yeah, Howell only completed 38.5% of his passes. That's by far the least effective and efficient he's been all year. But he still averaged 8.7 yards per attempt, which is all, all you really care about is the yardage per attempt and the turnovers. Well, he had two interceptions as well, one of which was really an arm punt on third down. You don't ideally like it. And the other one, well, you know, you'd, you'd like to have that one back. But given that he had the two picks, given that he was not quite as, as uh, he, he also didn't have quite as much space to work with with some of the receivers, it, you know, the, the Duke did a good job in coverage, still able to scheme up some shots and scheme up 8.7 yards per attempt, which then forces Duke later in the game to handle some of that stuff. And that's when you bring in a fresh Javante Williams and, and some of the run stuff that they did, some of the, some of the little wrinkles that they put in the run game later on, that's that, that really helped break that game open and got them into a situation where they'd been in the shadow of their own goalposts for a long time. And I was sitting there thinking they don't flip this field. They're going to lose. And then they flipped the field and that, that was the game right there. Yeah, I said that Duke punter had them at the 10, 15-yard line the entire second half, and I was saying the same thing. They've got to figure out a way to get it turned around or they're just setting themselves up for another bad loss. Uh, Buck, you mentioned Daz Newsom and his catch. Uh, if if folks – and I'm not sure if I've got the first name right, but I want to say Michael Purifoy for Alabama. Somebody needs to Google that or YouTube that catch um, and see what I'm talking about. Daz Newsom's catch where he just – Moss, the Duke uh, guy, which those type catches are what make the drops more maddening, but but you brought it up. Um, it was Carolina, Tyrone Prothrow, by the way. Prothrow. That's it. Good call. Knew I had it wrong, but I knew Jason would correct me before <laughs> I could finish the set. <laughs> but Sorry. yeah, I mean, these guys are making ridiculous plays um, at times for, you know, Carolina's offense. Matt Brown said North Carolina football is fun now, but Carolina's offense and their skill players have just made it very fun to watch from the outside looking in. Well, fun uh, at times. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's, they're like a box of chocolates, right? You, you know, you just don't know what you're going to get on any particular play, um, which makes it maddening. But when you see something like Daz's catch, you just go, oh, my God. You know, I mean, uh, catching that ball behind the player's back and then just bear hugging him uh, to the ground and hanging on to the ball. I mean, uh, you know, I, I liken it in, into my column is that's something that Hollywood would stage, you know, in a in a football movie. You know, so uh, you, you can't make it up. And, you know, there was another. um you know, a situation where I th I'm pretty sure it's third down. I'm not going to swear to that. But uh, how threw an easy pitch and catch to Newsom you know, right in his hands, and he either decided to run with the ball before he caught it or uh, heard footsteps or something, and he just drops it. And so you see that, and then you see this highlight reel catch that runs, you know, every time you talk about UNC receivers, you're going to see that clip of that in there. And, and it makes it fun at times. And at other times you, you just want to put a gun to your head. So, uh, that's where I come out on that. Not boring for sure. Let's take a short break. Uh, come back, Jason, I'm going to come to you on the defense. Carolina's defense, Jay Bateman's schemes, and the players' execution stepped up big against Duke. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a dude, dude averaging 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the sun. 
a new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. We're back. I'm Tommy Ashley. Buck Sanders, Jason Staples, Inside Carolina Day After Podcast. I'm a little bit disjointed because, like I said in the opening, I still don't know what I saw in Keenan Stadium last night. But, Jason, one thing I did see is Jay Bateman's defense frustrated Duke, frustrated Quentin Harris. I mean, we nailed it. Stop the run, stop the run, and you have a chance to beat Duke. How did Carolina stop the run so well against this Duke team that really over the course of the last few years manhandled Carolina's defense uh, and did whatever they wanted in years past? Not so yesterday. I think it started with North Carolina playing, just committing to playing so physical on the front and basically saying – you could you you can I can just imagine those coaches challenging their players all week. Duke's going to come at you, and they're going to try to they're going to try to out physical you. You've got to win, and you've got to win those battles. You got to win in the trenches, and that's that's what they did. They went in, and they were the more physical team up front. And it started with Crawford and Strobridge, as it as defensive success has pretty much all year, and they were able to inside out work work that to to force duke to duke was not able to win in the a gaps they weren't winning in the they weren't winning in the a and b gaps so between the center and the guard and the guard and the tackle because strobridge and crawford were were winning a lot of those matchups and so then that means duke has to get stretched out a little bit and that's where the backers started coming in I mean, I, I'll I'll spend a little bit of time this week talking in, in the in the video videos that I'll do about what Bateman did scheme wise. It wasn't anything especially unusual, but what they did is they just really they they did a tremendous job of identifying the one on ones that they could get up front for those guys to win, and then making sure that the backers triggered downhill hard against the run. So when when it was a run, you could see Surratt and those backers. Gemmel and the rest coming up against the run. And they committed to to doing that, knowing that, yeah, you're going to give up a play in the passing game here and there. And yeah, you're going to give up. They were willing to take some one-on-ones with, I mean, they're on their fourth corner on one side. And you're willing, willing to take those one-on-ones and say, you know what, we've schooled these guys well enough that we'll take our chances there. And they they took their chances because they didn't think that that Quincy could uh that that he could he could throw it. They did not believe that ultimately Duke was going to be able to throw it well enough to to beat them. Or I'm sorry, Quentin Harris. Uh, I'm thinking Quincy uh, uh, Harris, but um, but Quentin Harris was. They did not. They did not believe that he could that he could threaten them downfield enough, especially with that that crop of receivers, which isn't just going to run by you. So they committed. You know what? We're we are going to sell out, and they put the extra guy in the box at times. They they rotated. You know they played they played more quarters in this game than I than I can remember all season. Like more true quarters. That's why actually they got beat on that long post late, where uh where you had the the pass interference, which was not a bad pass interference situation. In that situation, you take the interference rather than the catch. But the reason that they gave that up is that they they played a good amount of quarters in the back in the back seven in order to and quarters is cover four where you've got safeties that are responsible for the inside verticals and the cornerbacks are responsible for the outside guys on verticals. What quarters allows you to do there is that allows those, those safeties to play like linebackers. If there's no vertical on their side, that guy becomes a hard run support player. So you can play almost nine man boxes at times. And they did that a lot against Duke basically saying, we don't believe you're good enough to beat us on those post routes over the top. It's what Pitt does. It's what you know. Some of the teams that really commit to stopping the run do a lot of, and unless you can beat it over the top with with those posts, you, you're going to have a little bit of trouble because it's going to it's going to do a lot to take away the run. And you know they use some they use some combos as well with quarters on one side and two on the other and some other things like that. But that's that's one of the things that they they really committed to is we're gonna we're gonna bring our we're gonna involve our safeties in the run game. We're going to we're going to come down and we're just going to force you 
if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us over top, and we're going to make sure our safeties are playing or our corners are playing over top so that it's going to be hard to do on the outside. That was the combination, and I think it was the right right decision. And, you know, you look at the, you look at the numbers, and, uh, you know, Duke 5.3 yards per, uh, yards per, per pass attempt. That's not very good, especially since there were two interceptions. And then 2.7 yards per rush, 37 rushes for 100 yards. Now, that includes sack yardage, but still, you'll take that every time. And uh, I mean, just looking at what Duke's running backs had, their running backs were, uh, let's see, take just a second here. Jackson had 91, Durant had 22. Yeah, I mean, that that's, you, you can't really complain too much about that. Just looking at breaking Jackson down further, you know, Jackson averaged 4.79 per carry, and that's with a couple longer runs. So, you're you're limiting what they're doing when you're winning first down, and that's the key to beating Duke. And they they absolutely came to the same uh, game plan conclusions that we did, and and more so, and were able to to limit it enough. And sure enough, you know, they're they're going to throw the ball to you if they if you're able to stop the stop the run, and that's what that's what Carolina got. So uh, you know, Quentin Harris tough to stop on the ground, but not the kind of thrower that, that Cuts had there before. Harris, I believe, sack yardage included, negative nine yards rushing. Uh, mission accomplished for Jay Bateman's defense there. But ton more can be broken down all week of the game. I'm sure, Jason, we all look forward to those videos. Um, they'll be fun to watch and dig into plenty of stuff coming from Greg and Ross and all the rest of those guys. But, Buck, let's talk a little bit about looking ahead. Uh, that win makes this Virginia game, and I said it on the boards. Somebody was complaining about the blue zone or crap atmosphere or whatever, and said it was empties. Uh, Saturday night in Chapel Hill, when Virginia comes to town in six days, that I, I, I firmly believe the atmosphere in that game is going to rival anything we've seen in Chapel Hill. Um, it's just incredible to me to think what how the transformation has happened but with the coastal chaos i mean how big a game is this for north carolina football coming up in six days well i think you answered your own question there tommy uh you know it's it's huge uh i mean um of course it's a big game but here's something else that uh we should you know, pay some homage to is that as crazy as this year is in the coastal, I mean, just think about Miami's last three games. They beat Virginia. They lose to Georgia tech and then they go beat <laughs> Pittsburgh. I mean, it's just insane. And, uh, you know, Virginia who Molly Wap, Duke last week, 48 to 14, I think, uh, goes up to Louisville and loses. And what do they have? 14 points, 17 points, something like that. And Louisville gave up 59 to Wake Forest. I mean, the, the insanity that is to Coastal Division, it's not out of the question. I mean, it's happened before. I think maybe it's happened twice in the last 14, however long they've been gone to two divisions to have a five and three winner, uh, in the coastal division is that could happen this year because anybody is capable of beating everybody else. Um, so uh, we'll just have to see how it plays out. All North Carolina can do is just win the game in front of them. Um, uh, and that's going to be the Virginia game. Actually, I don't think Virginia's offense is nearly as good as Duke's. And Duke doesn't have a great offense. I think Virginia has a very, very good defense. But they're also missing their best uh, cornerback, All-American, Bryce Hall. So uh, with a lot on the line, uh, you know, the North Carolina players, you know, we talked last week about don't let uh, 
Virginia Tech beat you twice and come out flat and demoralized against Duke. Well, don't let this win against Duke beat you next week. Uh, you know, don't stay on that even keel. Keep the passion going and, uh, you know, play with the kind of effort you had last week and hope you get Storm Duck back, by the way. I'm guessing that's a concussion. I don't know what that is. They're calling it an upper body issue. Well, that could mean anything from, uh, you know, a sore elbow to a cracked cranium. So uh, I hope they get him back. And, uh, you know, maybe some other players, Trey Shaw showed up this week, that, which was good, good to see. Um, uh, but you know, that they're hurting in the, on the back end of the defense, which is, you know, that's the drum we've been beating for seems like months now, but, um, you know, Virginia has, has some players, but. They also face Bryce Perkins, another run pass athlete. And if they can, uh, do the same kind of job on Perkins that, uh, they did on Quentin Harris, then, then I like their odds, but, uh, we'll just have to see it'll be, and you're right. Keenan stadium will be on fire. Uh, it's a seven 30 game. Weather's going to be about perfect from what I understand. Uh, although a week away, you never know. But uh, right now, it's looking like the weather will be perfect. Uh, some of the people in the blue zone may leave that air conditioning and get out into the stadium. Uh, but it's going to be wild. And don't feed the trolls. Don't feed the trolls <laughs> in the blue zone. <laughs> well, you know, every now and then, even the trolls got to eat. So uh, uh, that's where I'll go with that one. But yeah, it's going to be, uh, you know, a really special game in, uh, Keenan stadium coastal division is on the line. Uh, so, you know, we'll just see, uh, you know, how the team responds and if they can get some defensive backs back in the game, uh, but that, that's what I think about what's coming up, Tommy. Jason, before we get out of here, just sort of a pre-pre-pre-preview of Virginia. I mean, talk about the similarities, the difference in Perkins and Harris. And, you know, the thing with college football is unless you're elite, you can't really do the same thing every week to stop somebody because those teams pick up on it and change what their approach is going to be. But, you know, how does Carolina deal with Perkins? I think Perkins is a lot better than Harris. Um, but I think, like Buck said, I'm not sure Virginia Tech, or excuse me, Virginia's offensive line's anywhere close to Duke. So, you know, just looking ahead before um, we talk about it on Thursday night, what do you see Carolina doing to box in Perkins that maybe they didn't do or, or differently than they did to stop Harris? Well, I, I think you're right that Perkins is is a good bit better than Harris, and uh, it, it's a it's a bigger challenge. Partly because he is he's a bigger athlete. Uh, the th- one of the things about Perkins is you can get him, you can have him in the grasp in the in the pocket, and the play is not over. I mean, he is he is a strong athlete, and you get him in the run game. I mean, he's. Actually, Perkins to me is a is a very comparable player to Marquise Williams. I mean, that's really what you're playing against. Uh, he might be a little bit, a little bit. Uh, I mean, you're looking at basically Marquise Williams in Marquise's senior year, where Marquise was not quite as as prone to to some of the mistakes that he made a little bit earlier in his career when he when he had really found his comfort zone. That's what you're playing against, and. You know, Carolina fans will remember when Marquise was 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 rolling. He he would give you some problems because you, you could there could be a busted play, and all of a sudden Marquise is out of the grasp again, and he's he's either taken off or you've got a, a free receiver because the defense thought he was down, thought thought it was going to be a sack, and that's that's what you're playing against with Perkins. Now, I don't think Perkins throws as good a deep ball as. Williams did, but I do think he's a little bit better thrower as a, 
uh, on some of the intermediate underneath stuff. So it's kind of a wash there. The thing that the challenge, the bigger challenge, in addition to him being one of those guys that you're going to have to, it's hard to get him on the ground is I think he's much less likely to throw interceptions than what Harris was. I mean, you knew the the book on Harris was if they, if you can get him off schedule and get him throwing into defenses where you're, you're not having to honor the run as much. He's, he's going to, he's going to throw some high balls. He's going to, there's going to be some stuff off target. He's going to make some, some, some mistakes that you're going to have a chance to, to cash in as, as, uh, as turnovers. You don't really expect that with Perkins. It's one of those things where when, when they're off schedule, they're still basically going to trust that he's not going to turn it over and he doesn't very often. So this is a, this is a much harder challenge and Virginia does a really good job of finding the the matchups that Perkins is comfortable with and throwing some back shoulder fades and, and using, using some stuff on the, on the interior to, to get a matchup that they like. And they will dink and dunk you down the field like, like nobody else in the conference. And it's super infuriating to play against because you feel like you're there on the verge of making a play the whole time. And then, you know, they're kicking a field goal or they're down in your, in, in, in the uh, goal line area where now that now that 11 man run game that they have gets, gets really difficult. So this is a big challenge. Uh, the, the, the good thing is that it, as much better as Perkins is than Harris I think Duke's offensive line is better than Virginia's. Virginia's offensive line is not very good, and they've struggled at different points this season. And if you, especially on the edge, they've got some very young tackles. They've got some guys that'll be pretty good down the line with some good length, but they're young. If you can give them some stunts, if you can give them a little bit, you're, you're going to be able to get some pressure at times. You're going to get a free rusher at times against their offensive line. And I think, again, Strobridge and Crawford can – have they're going to have an advantage on the inside so that kind of offsets a little bit of that but the challenge is can you get enough penetration and pressure up front to mitigate playing against a really good quarterback who who's going to give you problems both with his legs and with his arm you know that's one thing that's pretty encouraging though i would think after the duke game north carolina had five sacks on uh, against Duke, that that's more than they've had the entire year. I think part of the reason for that is Jason Strobridge is now seems to be healthy to me, um, and he hasn't been this entire season for the most part, except for maybe uh, you know, like up to the Appalachian game or Clemson game, and then after that he had you know some problems and didn't even. Uh, play at all against who was it, Jason? Uh, Wake Forest. They, yeah, they pulled him out of uh, out of that game, and so you know he's had problems since early in the season with a uh, you know a nagging injury or two, and against Duke he was a stud, um, and I, I think that changes the North Carolina defense. I think uh, they can be much more aggressive when. Strobridge is healthy than when he's not. He could command a double team. There's going to be more gaps that you you can shoot. Um, And I think uh, Jeremiah Gimmel played a great game yesterday as well as Surratt, although Surratt got the the highlight play. I thought Gimmel played solid all day yesterday. So uh, I'm pretty encouraged uh, if they can do that against Duke's offensive line that they're going to have their opportunities for success against Virginia. It is, uh, you mentioned Strobridge, Aaron Crawford, another guy that just continues to be solid week in and week out. I've been waiting to see the snap count article come up on Inside Carolina while we've been recording this. Strobridge with 81, Crawford with 74, nobody else on the defensive line, interior defensive line, more than five. Uh, I mean, it is incredible the amount of snaps these guys are having to play and are stepping up and performing. Uh, Ross, Chasserat, and Jeremiah Gimmel, all with 83 snaps. The defense is getting better, even though they're uh, or, or seemingly getting better, even though injuries continue to be a problem. I mean, the, the fact that you've got Ross and Hollins out there on the corners 
and still making plays is a testament to those guys, but also a testament to that defensive staff to get them done and, and get them in position to make plays. And sometimes they're in position to make plays and uh, those guys wearing the zebras stripes um, make calls like zebras sometimes. Um, so Carolina beats Duke on an insane ending. I think the the picture of the game before I get out of here, Buck, and I'll I'll give you this one because you and I are similar. The look on Cutcliffe's face when that play didn't work, that image will live forever <laughs> for North Carolina. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, T.O.B. Uh, after Geo's punt. You know, yeah. that, that was pretty cool. Maybe it'll make an Inside Carolina coffee mug one day. Jason and Buck, uh, great <laughs> stuff. Uh, it's always fun to talk. It's always fun to talk about these things after a win. It's always fun to talk about after a win like that. Inside Carolina podcast, Jason Staples and Buck Sanders. And I promised you before the before I get out of here, I was going to give you a code, a chance to sit next to Buck and Mrs. Buck, sit in front of me, uh, South Oldish Rivalry. When did Virginia and North Carolina start playing to create the South's oldest rivalry? Answer to that question is 1892. Uh, I was not there, but I hear it was a good ball game. Buck was. But I wasn't going to say that, but uh, that's all Jason. Go to Inside Carolina. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) The, uh, The code 1892. Go to the message board. Click on the thread that Michelle. Uh, Hillison has created click on the link to enter the contest and enter 1892 if you enter it in the thread itself or in this podcast thread I'm going to move for you to be disqualified from the contest (laughs) enter the code 1892 chance to sit with Buck and I it will be rowdy in Keenan Stadium Jason and Buck look forward to Seeing you all's stuff for the rest of the week. Jason, look forward to talking to you Thursday night. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.